Okay, welcome back to this week's edition of Terry's Talking. David Campbell, sports manager at Cleveland.com here with Terry Pluto. Terry, how are you doing? How was Christmas for you? Christmas was very good. So I am, uh, I am here. I figured out a way to do a service, ministry service at the Akron City Mission Haven Arrest and cover the game off TV at the same time. I'm not sure I want to try it again. but uh, Talk about multitasking. How many years have you been doing that? How many years have you been doing that on Christmas now? Oh, um, I think it's 23. We were trying to figure that out. So, I mean, we do a couple times a month service there anyway, but the holidays uh, that started way back when. So, Good. That's a great tradition to keep going. You'll be 25 years in a couple of years then. So yeah, uh, that's a nice thing. So, uh, hey, real quick, thanks to everybody who's been listening to the podcast. We've been getting some great response to it, and we appreciate all your questions and feedback. Terry, another week and another Browns loss, and another week where they're still in the playoff picture. This is really something. So basically, if the Ravens lose one of their last two games and the Bengals lose to the Chiefs this weekend, the Browns can make the playoffs, win the division, and host a playoff game. Crazy stuff, huh? They're still in it. Yes, it's time for them to win a game, though, David. Oh, Um, for sure. I I think they would agree with you. (laughs) You know, all these scenarios of this while well, they, they've been losing. And so it's and losing by two points against Green Bay, two points against the Raiders. It's time to win a game. I think it's very significant, regardless of whether they make the playoffs or not, if they can knock off Pittsburgh and Cincinnati in the season. Because then I think I feel better about the team because they're 4-2 in the uh, division. Um, and they just showed at the end that they were able to win some – you know, must win games. And even if the playoffs are not hanging in the balance, I think you want to have a winning record at nine and eight. So um, I, I just really want to see that, you know, it's funny when they keep, you know, I keep hearing and all that, well, Pittsburgh's bad against the run and their defense is this and that. All I know is when they played the Browns, they held them to 10 points. Yeah, absolutely. So and there's the um, the ball that great that day either. Yeah, so here's how the schedule looks. So the Browns are playing Monday against Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh, and then they have the Bengals at home, which is obviously a very important game if things go the way the Browns are hoping. Uh, The Bengals have to lose at home to the Chiefs. That's the big one. And then the Ravens need to lose one of their last games, either against the Rams on Sunday at one, or they close with Pittsburgh on the ninth. So um, as you said, the Browns don't control their own destiny. Pittsburgh's a tough place to play, and it's probably going to be Ben Roethlisberger's last home game as a Steeler. Uh, it's gonna yeah, be a lot of emotion be, that night. It'll be a you know a football religious event, that's for sure uh, for them. And if the Browns are not scoring points, Ben can win the game ugly. He's showing that not only against the Browns but against other teams. So I am curious to see how they how they play. I'm curious to see how Baker plays because they're you know you can put some asterisk next to that thing against Green Bay. What he had. Do you have a practice at all? I can't remember. Uh, no, no, he did. No, he got off the plane and went to the field. Yeah. So yeah. that was a that was difficult in Green Bay. Obviously, even though their defense has not been as good of late, the previous four games they were averaging giving up thirty points. It's a pretty good defense in general. And you know, he just his passes were high. You and I were talking about that too. Just it's like he just we weren't sure what he was looking at some of the time, and he did talk about. Lenny Wilkins' favorite word used to be when things went wrong was discombobulated. <laughs> I always had to look up how to spell it when I, when I was covering the Cavs. Or, but Baker was discombobulated. How's that? 
That's a, that's the word for it. So so let's get into this Baker debate a little bit. This has been the big topic of the week, but also in Doug Maurice, our colleague, pointed this out in his column the other day. Like every time there's a Browns game, this furious debate is happening out there where people are weighing everything that's going on with Baker, like and and extrapolating what it means going forward. Where do you stand with Baker right now? And and how big are these last two games, or are they important in terms of what they do going forward? Well, they're important. I mean- if he plays absolutely terrible, you have to then say, what exactly is going on here? Uh, has he lost his confidence? All this kind of stuff. If he plays extremely well, that doesn't mean you throw $140 million or $160 million at him. But, David, the key thing is you don't have to do anything. You have him under contract for next year. And it isn't like, for example, Nick Chubb, who at the end of this year had the Browns not signed him, same thing with Wyatt Teller, they were going to become unrestricted free agents. So they would have been gone pretty much. And we've seen that. I've I've kind of tried to rack my brain of when a Brown went into unrestricted free agency, a guy that's any good, I don't mean like Richard Higgins, who kind of came back on a one-year deal, but a guy that was considered to be pretty good. They're really the two big guys they needed to get signed this year in in terms of keeping the roster together were uh, Chubb and Teller, and they did that. You know, Baker, he's got a contract for next year. If he plays fairly well and he can't get a deal, you could start doing the Dak Prescott thing like Dallas. You, You franchise him for another year. Right. But, but aside from the contract situation, I mean, yes, that's all set for next season, but the clock is ticking. Like mm-hmm. the, the Browns have have several pro bowlers now on this team. They have Miles Garrett, who's in beginning the prime of his career. And there's a lot of people who think that the quarterback play is holding this team back. I mean, you've got to think pretty quickly here about what Baker Mayfield is going to be in 2022 and who else is going to be in that quarterback room. What kind of guy are you going to bring in? So, yes, Baker's under contract for next season if they want him. But who's going to be there with him and who's going to be pushing him? Or do they want to bring in someone to push him? Those are kind of big decisions, right? If you decide to go out and you know get a Derek Carr or something, well then you probably use Baker in a trade, you know, for that because you, you don't want to do that. You don't want to bring in a Case Keenum is one thing. You don't you want to you don't want to bring in another guy and that Baker is a backup, but that's not good. So um, you're correct on that. That's why I want to look at the last two games though and just see how he plays, David, um, because nobody has to make a decision on Baker Mayfield you know, in week with two games to go, you just don't. And oftentimes in this 24 seven, have a take, make a decision right now, sports media landscape, the most word, the four letter word you hear the least is wait, W-A-I-T. And that I, that is where I've been with Baker all the way along this year. And I'll continue to do so. You know, the Browns will have more data on this in terms of what, how hurt was he really? And how does a player come back after they have labor and surgery? You know, all that kind of stuff. Clearly, going to his left and throwing the ball is a big problem. They showed it over and over again on the Green Bay broadcast and on some others. But, you know, Aikman was very interesting talking about the the footwork problems. And I do think he's back to some of his old bad footwork habits, period. And that sometimes is a result of when you are not um, healthy. Yeah, so the, the footwork is kind of an interesting thing. I, you know, when 
Alex Van Pelt and Kevin Stefanski came in last year. They're like, well, Baker's footwork isn't what it should be, and we're really going to work on that. And then you look on the interception to Landry the other day, and and he had, and it Mayfield admitted this after the game. He was bailing out on the throw. He was backing up as he was throwing it. And as a fan, you have to sit there and think, well, geez, I thought this footwork, footwork stuff was all going to be taken care of. And, and all last week, Stefanski was saying, well, you, you know, Baker's had – hundreds of reps and hundreds of reps and hundreds of reps on these various plays. Well, he's had hundreds of reps with his footwork too. And to see him bailing out and moving backward and fighting the momentum of where he wants the ball to go on the interception was, was really troubling if you're a fan, I think. And also because, well, sort of your timing on your throws and that could be off for lack of practice. Your footwork is your footwork, right? It's like riding that. a bike. You should be able to rely on that, right? And also, he's had this problem some in the past, but it's more pronounced now, missing high. His pass is floating high. And the first guy that really kind of explained to me a couple of things about why that's awful was Eric Mangini. We were talking, and he said, it's a little like, he knows I'm more of a baseball guy. because It's a little like baseball. You'd rather miss low in a strike zone than high in a strike zone. And he said, the problem is not only will the ball maybe sail over the receiver's head? He said, sometimes then the receiver jumps up. What does he do? He gets a finger or two on the ball. Now it's deflected. And talk about a scramble for an interception. Might get a tip two or three times, and you never know where it'll end up then. Yep. Yeah. And so that's – and that's how Baker's missed a lot of his throws. Or else it's just like, you know, he's throwing to the zip code 44313 and – you know, but receiver is a zip code three, four, two, one, six. I mean, it's not even close. I don't know what was going on with some of those, but Baker kept missing high. And that's, that's all a concern. It would be interesting. I'm sure they have the data from last year. How often when he missed that he missed high, especially the end of last year. I have a hard time just simply dismissing those last, I think it was nine games where he threw in the playoffs where he had 22 TDs and only two interceptions. I just don't think that's a fluke. I mean, that, that's in him. But will he get back to that form? You know, is it with, with the um, because of the injuries? I don't know. Yeah, and uh, our colleague Mary Kay Cabot, who's been covering the Browns forever and does a tremendous job, she's, she had some really telling numbers from this season. And you're right, Terry, it was different last season. But this season, Baker's 24th in the NFL with an 86.1 rating. He's mm-hmm. tied for 23rd with only 15 TD passes. He's 0-5 with a chance to win or tie the game in the fourth quarter, and he's thrown interceptions on the final drive twice. He's 36th in the NFL in fourth quarter passing. He's last in the NFL in third down passing, and he's 15th in the NFL on passes of 20 yards or more. He's only completing 39.6% of those. And you want to hear my theory about this was really interesting to me. You know, um, I think that the coaching staff is beginning to lose a little patience here. Mm-hmm. And it was telling to me after the game the other day, you always hear Stefanski after a loss, especially he'll say, I've got to do a better job of putting us in plays to win. I got to do a better job setting us up for success. And he didn't say that the other day after the game, after they lost, he did not say that the plays were bad. And, and the, in this press conference after the game, two days later, He didn't say that he thought the play calling was good. And that is really interesting to me because Kevin Stefanski always puts it on himself when a final drive doesn't work out. And the other day he didn't do that. And if you look at the film, you see open guys crossing, running crossing routes and Baker's make making very difficult throws into tight windows when he's got guys running open. And when the coaches see that 
that's that's something they can't be happy with. So I, I kind of picked up on that from Stefanski. Along those lines, a it's about time he got off of that. Because here's the deal: when you keep saying we need to coach better, I need to call plays better, whatever, the players think you better believe it. And remember, then you started getting, you know, them firing back on we need to, you know, call better plays and that kind of stuff. You're giving them an out. Now, periodically, you need to own up to it. But what he was doing it almost every week was ridiculous. In fact, I had that discussion with a top Browns official. We were just casual talking before a game. And, and I just said, you know, I think he said something about you were kind of rough on Kevin. I said, well, first of all, Kevin keeps saying he's doing a lousy job coaching. So he's asking <laughs> for it. And secondly, more of than what I think is what your players think when you keep saying that. I said, so you should tell him, you know, and I think I wrote this in one of my things about you, the players are grabbing on us. You're saying it and, and, it's, and you know, you should just cut it out unless you really did mess up. And so I thought that was progress, by the way, that, and you're correct. It also was a sign that um, they were very discouraged about Baker. Clearly they were in that game. Now, David, what do you think about this? I got a couple emails, people saying, well, why don't they just play Case Keenum the last two games? Maybe he gives them a better chance to win. Yeah, I don't see that. Um, you're you're going to have to score points to beat the Bengals. And I, I don't know that a Case Keenum led team could put up more than 21, 24 points. And I think the Browns are probably going to need 28 or 31 to win this, that last game. Uh, so I, I don't see that as an answer. And they've said from day one, you know, Baker's our starting quarterback and, mm-hmm. and they have never wavered from that. So, you know, the most popular guy in Cleveland is the starting quarterback. And the second most popular guy is the, the backup. And sometimes that flips depending on, on how the first guy does. So, uh, you and, know, and that's people, correct. I mean, basically the, the, uh, would have been if you thought this, you should just have went to case when uh, midseason when things got bad with Baker. Yeah, that was the time. And as you as you as you have pointed out before, that was a good time to help get Baker right. healthy. So. I, I still don't know why they refused to do that. Had, had he sat out the Pittsburgh and the Detroit games after Denver, you know, just kind of had a couple of weeks rest. Maybe we see a different Baker. But in the meantime, no, I'm playing Baker the last two games. I want to see him play against uh, Pittsburgh. And Cincinnati, I want to see what he does. Yeah, and I want to go back to the players part of this because you were talking about the players responding when the coach says, you know, we didn't coach well. I, you, There's only one way to play football well, and that is 100% with everything you got. And if your quarterback and your offense are letting you guys, the rest of the team down late in games, that has to have an impact on you emotionally. Uh, here, you know, it's the here we go again thing that we see in Cleveland sports a lot where people think that it, the same thing is going to keep happening. And I, I'm just wondering in that locker room if Miles Garrett and the other guys on defense who might be playing hurt are like, well, what's the point? You know, and we're still in the playoffs, but like the chances of us pulling out a close game, like we're never going to do it. I, do you think there's any of that going on? There's always doubt when you haven't done it well when the score gets close. I don't think going into the game itself, David, uh, that looms there, but you know, third, fourth quarter. They, they may not know the exact numbers that you rattled off, but they could tell we're not winning the close games. Where last year, they were 7-2 and two in games decided by six or fewer points. This year, they are 4-6. and six. So the guys know that. And the other thing they also know is that whatever was supposed to be called on these third down plays or whatever, either Baker is not tracking with where the receivers are or 
isn't executing correctly. Uh, and they probably don't think it's all just play calling at all. Yeah. And I didn't mean to imply that they weren't going to play hard. It's just, you know how it is when you're out there yeah. and it gets to be late in the game. It's like, here we go again. And, yes, and anybody who's plays sports up. has been through that. Yeah. Yes, and, and that's where it comes up. And it is demoralizing. Whereas when you stop the guy and even if you're down by seven and then the offense goes down and kicks a field goal, you go, okay, well now we got, we got three back, but you go out there and it's three and out or he throws the ball to the other team or it looks like he, he just seems indecisive. I wonder if uh, Stefanski has just lost his ability to figure out what the heck to call on third down with Baker. In other words, he goes, I don't know what's going to work here. Yeah. By the way, it was interesting because he said one of the plays would have been explosive. I think he meant that screen pass that we got knocked down to the line of scrimmage. Yeah, they had that blocked real nice and it was ready to yeah. go. Yep. And it was, uh, you know, Dearness Johnson's really a nice player. He is really good. I'm not saying he should replace Chubb or anything, but that guy, you know, he, you talk about tough, smart, and accountable. That's him. He's ready to go and he runs straight. He can catch the ball. He plays special teams. And guys never get a clean hit on him. It seems like he always oh. manages to slide sideways at the last second. It's really something. So, hey, Terry, I want to talk um, a little bit about you mentioned the receivers a little bit ago. As you look at next year, I know, you know, a lot of people are trying to connect Garrett Wilson of Ohio State to the Browns. Uh, Doug A. Maurice wrote a column about that the other day. Which receivers do you think are worth bringing back? And Jarvis Landry is obviously the big question mark with his contract. But how do you see this room looking next season and, and from what you've seen this year, who would you really like to see back? The only two I think for sure would be back are Schwartz and Peoples-Jones. That's it. You know, Higgins, it's another one of those years where he's in, he's out, you know, whatever that is. I don't know how the – he's – I mean, actually, he was originally a front office guy because Barry – Andrew Barry was part of that front office that drafted him back in 2016. Uh, and Barry did bring him back after uh, 2019 when he had literally no offers from anywhere other than totally non-guaranteed contracts. So he brought him back in 20. I'm not sure how he feels about him this year. Uh, Jarvis, I think they're going to look at that for 18 million or whatever, and they're just not going to do that. Perhaps they offered to bring him back on a, uh, a cheaper contract, but I'm sure and I know I would be that knee injury with Jarvis would have scared me a little bit for that kind of big money. So, and the rest of the receivers, I can't even, you know, who, who else, you know, other guy, I don't even think of anybody. Yeah. And it's, it seems to be a pretty good receiver class in the draft. And of course they'll be going through free agency, looking for yes. some, some veterans too, if, if they decide not to bring Landry back. So some good news for the Browns this week, just to update everybody on the COVID situation this week, they got back Jadavian Clowney. Ronnie Harrison Jr., Troy Hill, Kareem Hunt, Malik McDowell, Jedrick Wills Jr., Mac Wilson. Uh, Kevin Stefanski said that Jedrick Wills Jr. will be playing left tackle if he's able to play. Boy, how about the job real quick that Joel Batonio did moving out to left tackle? Huh? I think he was the highest graded uh, offensive lineman of the Browns and one of the highest in the league for the two games that he played there. That was really something. It is. It just shows how good they are. Uh, I remember listening to an interview with Joe Thomas when they were doing that. And he actually thought the bigger concern was whoever was going to slip into Batonio's spot. He said, Joel is so good 
that he could he thought he could do at least an average to above average left tackle. I don't think he thought that Joel was going to try to get Joe Thomas type of uh, Batonio would get Joe Thomas type grades, but uh, he just thought that Joel was so good that with little prep or whatever and so smart, he would be able to do it. Remember, he played with him. So that was the deal there. And and some and he also thought that they could have some problems with whoever came in and played that guard spot because, and I think they did. That was some of the times that, you know, there were, were not some holes up the middle. And, but that's great. I, I like the fact like you get Wills back, you get Batonio, you have everybody in, in position. I don't know who they're going to play at right tackle, like Hans again or Hudson or whoever it is. But at least you have four of your starters back. Yeah, and one good thing for the Browns is all these guys coming off the COVID list came back on Monday, which gives yep. them a whole week of prep as opposed to guys coming back right before the game. And I mean, so the that'll certainly help. Healed also, David. You know, because yeah. they all have Clowney's always dealing with different little minor injuries. I know that, so that should help him. All right, Monday Night Football at Heinz Field. The Heinz Field. The Browns will know by the time they kick that one off on Monday night whether their playoff chances are still alive, depending on what the Bengals do. So, very interesting oh, weekend. Wait, one last thing, David. Yeah. On that. Suppose the Bengals win. Then I'm curious to see, where's the Browns' head? Are you going to go out, the Bengals won, so the playoffs aren't there, are you going to go out and get your butt kicked in Pittsburgh by Ben in his last game? Or are you going to show up and play? I think they're going to show up and play. I do too, but that's I, it's a kind of a different test. That's what I how I'll write it. Yeah, yeah. Now, now we get into tough, smart, and accountable territory there. Yep. Yeah, these guys are pros, and especially for a national game like that, I think they're really going to be up for it. I was really struck by the some of the Joe Madden, uh, Joe Madden, the John Madden uh, tributes that have been going around the last twenty four hours, and people were just. So a lot of former players are saying what a big deal it was to have John Madden and Pat Summer all do your game. And the players do care about that stuff. Like um, when you're on a national stage like that, I, I think even if the Browns are out of the playoffs on Monday night, I think they're still going to bring it and that should be a, should be a really good game. So, all right, Terry, you want to take a break real quick? We will come back and talk some Cavs and a little bit of guardians. Talk about your faith column this week. And I got a Cavs related trivia question for you. So we'll take a break and we'll be right back on Terry's talking. Hey, welcome back to Terry's Talking. David Campbell and Terry Pluto back at it here. Terry, big moment for the Cavs last night. They let one get away in New Orleans late, but the big story of the night was uh, Ricky Rubio hurting his knee late in that game. And this could be a season-defining injury for them and, and just, just really key to them. And how, how do you see this shaking out in terms of what their options are He's been so valuable. Some people might even say he's been the team MVP in a lot of ways. But uh, what do you, what can the Cavs do from here? Well, first of all, he's the most versatile player they have. I mean, he was having – his final thoughts for that game is he led the team in scoring with 27. He led them in rebounding with 12. And he led them in assist with nine. So he went Magic Johnson on him. You know, he took that – on himself, knowing that Darius wasn't playing to, you know, try to lead them in that game. And that's the kind of player he is. And it's hard to um, really uh, replace that because he could play shooting guard or he could play uh, the point guard. He has enormous respect in the locker room. And when they take a guy off like that, where not granted, he's not on the cart, but he put no weight on that knee. You're just hoping that it really is something that hurt him but scared him more than anything else. We'll know more 
But um, I did hear recently just now from the Cavs, I know that they brought up this guy with a Malik Newman or something from the Cleveland Charge. Malik Newman from the Charge, yes. Yeah, he's a 6'3". He's more of a shooting guard scorer. They are definitely looking at variety of options of point guard. Now, I mentioned one. I got to go back and add it to my scribbles, and that's Quinn Cook, who previously played here, played at Duke, played at Golden State. He was over in the Euro League. Well, he's come home. Uh, and I think if I were an agent for a lot of these other guys in the Euro League, I'd bring them home because there's jobs to be had here. And they need a guy like that to just bring the ball up. And actually, Quinn Cook can make some three-pointers also. So that would be the type of player. But they are definitely shopping. I was told that from a real good source just now during the break, in fact. So uh, whether it's Quinn Cook or somebody else, I'll write this. I'm not sure I go down this road, but... Did, I didn't realize that Isaiah Thomas, the one that that played here briefly, you know, he opened the year in the G League, and he just he was with the Lakers, but they cut him after the one ten day contract. <laughs> uh, be a lot of names there. Yeah. Apparently, he put up a lot of shots, but not a lot went in. So, <laughs> um, so the big name that kind of people are throwing out there is Ben Simmons. This has been kind of simmering out there for a while. And Cavs have been Cavs fans have been trying to figure out whether this is a good match. The the Ben Simmons thing, he loves playing on the perimeter and he likes to pass. And it's interesting. I was looking at his numbers last year. His numbers aren't that much different than what Ricky Rubio has been doing this season in terms (laughs) of assists and turnovers, but like, they're not the same player, but like, is there any, relationship between what Ben Simmons could bring in terms of alleviating some of what you're talking about, or is it like completely disconnected in your mind? Well, he's a really good defender. That's actually what he does best. The price for him, whatever it's going to be is probably, I don't want to give it up. I mean, I get, you know, he's a max contract guy going out four more years. He lost the ability to make free throws. Um, Now, our basketball writer, Chris Fedor, is a very big Ben Simmons fan, or at least he was a couple months ago when we last had a discussion. Nonetheless, um, I don't want to get into my core of, I mean, they wouldn't trade Mobley, but not even Garland or, or Jarrett. Or, I just don't want to do that. You know, I guess love would be in that deal to try to match up salaries. But also, you better make sure Ben Simmons is going to be good for a while because this contract, I think, goes out like four more years at maximum dollars. You finally have something where these guys are all Jason Kipnis's old line is we need to all pull on the same end of the rope. And they finally have a team where everybody's pulling on the same end of the rope. And you drop Ben Simmons in here and you take out a couple of core guys. Uh, if I were JB Bickerstaff, I'd be like standing on a table screaming, don't do it. I finally got chemistry. That's just not something. That's why I mentioned something like Quinn Cook. Or maybe there's some other, you know, kind of a hard-nosed veteran out there, you know, that's going to fit in. But you don't want to bring in a guy that's going to think he's the franchise player. But by the way, he's not. But he's going to be played like, paid like one. And if you think yes. that don't, if you think that doesn't matter to the other players on the team, <laughs> exactly. I mean, yeah. you're looking at then. Allen's going to think he's underpaid. Mobley's going to think I'm Mobley might end up getting a mass contract anyway, but it'll be think you should. Darius will think you should get a max contract. They'll all want max contracts, and the problem with that is even if they, Dan Gilbert's willing to go over the salary cap and and the luxury tax and pay it, it does hamstring what you can do um, for other players. So you're finally in a spot where 
you got two years left on Kevin, actually almost a year and a half only on Kevin Love's contract. You're coming to the end of that. Uh, you got a bunch of young guys. This is not when you do a Ben Simmons thing. And he hasn't played all year. You're right. Yeah. And in 58 games last year, when he did play before he decided he didn't want to play anymore, he averaged 6.9 assists, 3.0 turnovers per game. Um, for every 100 plays, he averaged 19.6 turnovers. Um, so there you go. So, yeah, it, it, it's just it's interesting to th- see the way Cavs fans have latched on to this. Is, um, I, it makes me think of the old Seinfeld bit about uh, guys don't want to know, know what's on TV. They want to know what else is on TV when they're watching a show. <laughs> it's kind of like Cavs fans. They always want to know what else is out there that they can get for their team. And well, I, I think you're right. This team seems to have good chemistry. They love playing together. And you're just going to drop Ben Simmons into the middle of that. It's just like a, a, a giant black hole of attention and, and drama potentially coming in here, I mean, right? That's what you're saying. Be writing, has Ben fixed his free throws? Then we're going to be writing, how's Ben doing emotionally? Because remember, that's what he said, that he was dealing with um, stress and that. And then we're going to be writing, how does he fit in with the other guys? And we're going to be writing all this garbage that I don't want to write. <laughs> how's that? All right. That's the re- that's reason enough for them not to make the move, right? Um, so the obvious question is there's going to be minutes to fill here. And with all the COVID stuff that the Cavs have been through, this team is under a lot of strain right now. And even more after last night, do you have any worry about Kevin Love? I mean, Kevin Love's minutes last night. I mean, he didn't play a lot in the blowout against Toronto. I think he only played 18 in the, in the blowout win over Toronto the other night, but he played 32 last night. Mm-hmm. New Orleans, which is a lot. It's, it's, I think it's, is probably one of the highest minute totals he's had this season, but uh, any concern in terms of how they're using him or how much they're going to have to use him. I mean, the Cavs are trying to keep in the playoff hunt here and they don't want to go through a bad stretch with injuries and COVID where they're, they're dropping down to the, to the playing spots again. Well, what do you think about Kevin Love? If you have Evan Mobley back, which they do, and they're supposed to be getting Jared Allen back next game or two. Then you got Allen, Mobley, Markkinen. You got all of your, and I believe then all three of them, and Love also, have been on the COVID list at some point this year. So that will hopefully mean uh, you won't play down that road at least the rest of the season. So therefore, less minutes for Love. But uh, you start playing them 25 to 32 minutes, he's going to get hurt. In fact, this is why the Cavs designed this thing off the bench with an idea of being 18 to 22 minutes. They, their sports research guys thought that that might be optimum to keep him healthy for the whole year. Now, Kevin has totally surprised me, impressed me, everything. I did not think he would buy into this as well as he has. And he bought in from day one at training camp and it's held. And he's playing, you know, terrific. Uh, but I also think that it's key to keep him uh, off the bench, keep him facing some of these second teamers. And just, just you got it, you got it going right. You just need to really work on getting another point guard in here because Rubio is going to be out for a while. And I don't want to see Darius Garland playing 40 minutes a game. I don't, I don't want to see that. That is, it's a lot of wear and tear, even on a young guy. And remember, uh, he has an injury history, David. Absolutely. Uh, the knee. And then also just in general, he had the shoulder kind of, he's smaller. He gets beat up some. No, we don't want to see that. 
And the thing about Kevin Love, too, is when he gets hurt, he gets hurt long term. Like it's never a week or whatever. He's usually out weeks, months. And yeah, the, the, mo the more minutes he's playing, you're right, the more likely that's going to happen. So, hey, let me run through real quick. I just wanted to run through the, when the Cavs are getting different guys back. You kind of touched on it a second ago. Yeah. So Jared Allen is eligible to come back today, which is Wednesday the 29th. So is Lamar Stevens and Dylan Windler. Um, on Friday, they're going to get Ed Davis back. And Jetty Osmond and Darius Garland could come back anytime from Friday to Tuesday, depending on how their test goes. I'm sorry, Garland is going to be su starting Sunday. He might be able to come back. Jetty is Friday. So every day that goes on, they're going to be getting more guys back from the COVID list, which should help um, kind of finding a home for some of these minutes they're going to have to play. Um, and one more thing on the Simmons thing. Then you mess up everybody's minutes. You know, right now they got Chetty Osmond. It's working for him. It's working for love. I don't know who, where the minutes would go, but you can't trade for a guy on a maximum contract, bring him in and play him 25 minutes a game. I mean, he's going to play a lot. Right. So they've got this figured out. I mean, I have news for fans. They're not going to win an NBA title this year. Just play real basketball, get to the playoffs. Maybe you surprise somebody, maybe you don't. And then you, you recalibrate and look towards next year. But this is not like, you know, it's just like the people want to trade for LeBron and, and, you know, let's start ripping up the core there, you know, for a year and a half of a, and LeBron, by the way, is playing incredibly bas great basketball right now. He still could do it, but it's just, you know, when you bring in LeBron, then you have to trade for a bunch of old guys because you don't want to play with a bunch of young guys. And you, you finally got a young group that could play. Yeah. Sometimes, enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. Just stop. Remember, I said earlier about wait, W-A-I-T, just wait, watch and wait. Hey, we should touch real quick. It seems like this happened a month ago, but on uh, Christmas morning, we learned that they gave J.B. Bickerstaff a contract extension, which reportedly runs through the 26-27 season. You think this was the right time to do this and the right thing to do? Both, right? It was a win-win for both sides. Yeah, I guess, I guess they have been talking about it for a while because I think when uh, Beeline left, he was given, he was not an interim. They did give him like a regular coaching contract, but I heard it was among the lower ones in the league, you know, for head coaches. So now they bumped him up probably to, you know, where a veteran coach should be. And, you know, Kobe Altman and he, that's a good combination for now. And Kobe needs a coach that's his because, you know, he went through, he inherited Tyron Lue, and then he went to Larry Drew, and then he went to John Beeline. And the last Cavs coach to last three full seasons, David, is who? Lenny Wilkins. <laughs> you feel like that? Actually, it was Byron Scott. <laughs> oh, that's right. It was Byron Scott after him. Three full. Now, when you start talking four, you got to go back to uh, Fratello and Lenny. But, you know, four years, I mean, three years. How about this? The last, I mean, they went to the finals four consecutive years and none of those coaches lasted three, three straight years. That's some stat, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So the Cavs are home. I'm sorry. They're on the road Thursday at Washington. Then they're home Friday against Atlanta. Sunday, they play the Pacers. And then Tuesday, they're home against Memphis, and then they start a six-game road trip. So they have uh, three of the next four at home, and then they're going on a six-game road trip, which is uh, going to take them out west a little bit. And 
So we'll see how things go. It's going to be interesting to see how they handle this uh, Ricky Rubio situation. I'm sure we'll hear later today the extent of the injury when they are able to evaluate it. So, you know, one last thing on the Cavs, too, that with their size and the way they play defense, and I'm talking now about they get their big three up front back. uh, The old thing, defense travels, it does. That gives you a much better shot to win on the road than, boy, we got to we got to put up 40 to 50 uh, threes and hopefully hit 40 percent of them to win. I hate playing that way on the road. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it is different shooting at home on rims that you're used to than shooting on, especially in the West Coast, where you only, may only play most of the time. Well, you play one game a year in Salt Lake, one year, game, uh, one t- game a year in Golden State. Um, it is different. I mean, I, for all the Hoosiers thing where he measures the rim, it's 10 feet and the foul line is still 15 feet. Uh, your background, all that stuff is different. It's just like why shooting in your driveway is easier than somebody else's. Yeah, for sure. And the uh, the other thing I was going to mention about the defense is that the Cavs have been, that keeps you in every game. You know, yeah. and last night was one of the rare times this season where we've seen them lose one down the stretch because the defense they they just lean on that defense and it keeps them right there. And then if they hit a few shots, they can win late. So, um, all right. So we'll see how the next couple of weeks go for the Cavs. Terry, uh, let's talk about the Guardians. It's it's just been very quiet in Major League Baseball, obviously with the lockout happening right now. Um, the only thing really going on is, is the potential ownership prospects of David Blitzer and things that are going on in terms of transferring some of um, Sherman's uh, interest in the team that was held by John Sherman before he left to take, the, take over the Royals over to David Blitzer. What's new on this? Have you been hearing anything? And what are you kind of expecting? A couple of things. One is, um, you know, I reported it in the summer. and Everybody else just seemed to ignore that, that it wasn't at 25% that Sherman owns is 15. Uh, it went up to 25, but as he was leaving, Paul Dolan bought back 10% of that. I'm sure it was a way to make it easier for Sherman to leave and give him some cash heading into buying the Royals. Um, so there's 15% in escrow. Let's, I'm even going to be real conservative. Let's just say the team's worth a billion dollars. So that's 150 million right there needs to go to Sherman. Blitzer reportedly is talking about 35%. So that buys Sherman out and it puts another 20% of the franchise, another 200 million into the pocket of Dolan, which certainly should, we all should be blessed like that. But it, 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 it should allow for better payrolls and all those things off the top. I talked to two NBA people who know Blitzer and they both said the same thing. They said that, uh, you know, he's a good guy in terms of he's, he doesn't come across like an, one guy said an Eastern know-it-all, you know, he's from the East coast. And they thought that they had heard for a while that he had been talking to Dolan and trying to build a relationship. So um, the, what I've been trying to find out and I can't is most of the big deals made by Blitzer, the front guy was this guy, Joshua Harris and the Sixers, who we just mentioned earlier with Ben Simmons there, Joshua Harris is the main owner there with Blitzer's part of the deal. The New Jersey Devils, Harris is the main owner, Blitzer part of the deal. Some European soccer teams, they recently bought five, about 5% of the Steelers in 2020, a quiet deal. Uh, they're trying to buy the MLS team in Salt Lake. They own some esports teams. They own holding companies. So this is a whole, this is the modern pro sports owner. You know, said so not Dolan's with their family business or even Sherman, who um, was in natural gas and took two companies public. And that was it. But by the way, Sherman has a group that owns the Royals. He doesn't just own that. He's the front man, but there are several people in that group, including Patrick Mahomes as a small piece of it. So this is kind of the kind of guys that buy teams now. 
kind of like you see at the Kentucky Derby where people don't buy horses anymore. They get a bunch of people together and they all buy a share of a horse and it kind of, yeah. I guess, reduces the risk and share the load a little bit. So, yeah. Well, interesting. let's think about this. They are in the NHL. They are in the NBA. They got a small piece of the NFL. I wonder if they're trying to do the Jimmy Haslam, right? Remember, Haslam was a small owner of the Seahorse and then it got him in with all the other owners and he bought the Browns. This might be their entree to try to get an NFL team. They tried to buy the Mets, but Stephen Cohen, the hedge fund guy, got it uh, $2.4 So they probably looked at that and thought, boy, we could get Cleveland for probably half of that. Yeah. And so um, that's their target. Now, what is their end game? I'm not sure. I mean, they, are they just buying and holding? Or are they going to keep selling pieces? I don't know. But you can't – the Guardians keep going. You can't come back with a $50 million payroll. You can't come back with – uh, 150 million in escrow there owed to John Sherman. You just can't come back with the status quo. The good thing is, before all this was done, uh, in other words, before the talks of Blitzer got serious, and they are serious, or Paul Dolan would never have released a statement saying they were serious, um, they got the whole lease thing and stadium renovation set up. So, you know, if you're David Blitzer or anybody else coming in here, that you're locked into Cleveland since, you know, 2036. Yes, you could try to leave, but I'm sure the, the legal ramifications of that are severe. And I doubt anybody wants to go through that. You know, like when Art Modell moved, I think there was only a year or so left on the lease. It wasn't like there was 15 years. Right. Different situations. So, all right, we'll continue to monitor that as it goes along. Terry, let's talk about your faith column this week. Uh, you write about kind of, you're in a house, you hear creaking floorboards and doors that are kind of rattling and fear starts to creep in your head about like, is someone in the house? And it was kind of an interesting column about fear and how we deal with it and how we think things are bad now, but yeah, they've well, been way all, worse in like the past. Going so. the new year, you're going to hear the old, it's never been worse than this, which we've been hearing for two years. Yeah, it has been worse than this. Uh, the Civil War, World War II, all that kind of thing. Uh, in fact, I used to quote from a play, one of my favorite plays called The Time of Your Life by William Saroyan. It came out in 1940, uh, written in 39, when the Depression just seemed like it would never end, and World War II was looming. And there's a character in the play, periodically set in this California bar, who just yells out, no foundation, no foundation, all the way down the line. He says it like five times. Uh, kind of interrupting people's conversations. But what that guy was reflecting how people felt back then. You know, the, the economy was shaking. The world was on the edge of world war. And what's going to happen to us? Well, we sometimes feel the same way now, but actually it isn't quite as bad. But when you talk about the unseen fears, I mean, the virus, what's coming up next, you know, all that kind of stuff with the economy is there. So uh, I talked about one of the pastors I talked to, uh, Keith James from New Community um, Bible Church in Cleveland Heights, mentioned this battle between faith and fear. And our fears of the unseen, the unknown. And I think when we're tired and beat down, that's when it gets really hard. So that was the faith column. I know not real uplifting, but the idea being that it hasn't been the worst. It's been worse before. We've gotten through it. Secondly, you know, oftentimes it's, it's a cliche, but it usually is darkest before the dawn. And no foundation all the way on the line. I'll just say that the foundation's shaken, but I don't think it's totally cracked and falling apart. 
All right, some good thoughts going into the new year there to kind of give us some perspective. Thanks for that, Terry. Terry's column uh, will appear Saturday on cleveland.com in the morning and then in Sunday's Plain Dealer. So, all right, let's do some Hey Terry questions. This was a really good one. I like this one. This is one that's from Terry Ramey. He says, hey, Terry, I finally figured out who Evan Mobley reminds me of and who I hope he patterns his game and drive after, a young Tim Duncan. Duncan's all-around game was more advanced since he spent four years in college, but if Mobley has half the drive Duncan did, he's going to be something. What do you think of that comparison? Well, by the way, Terry's a lady. because Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Terry. Yeah, what a great first name. And for what it's worth, by the way, my wife, Roberta, said I was the first male Terry that she ever met. So I don't know why she was required to marry That's me. That's why I called him a he, because you're, you're a Terry. So yeah, go right. ahead, Terry. Sorry about but that. Go back. Wow, wouldn't that be something if he's Tim Duncan? I mean, we've heard Tim Duncan, Chris Bosh. Um, I mean, this guy didn't play for, what, a week and a half? And he threw in, what, 21 points? He went 9 to 12 from the field with seven rebounds. I think he practiced, like, once. So – I'm not going to put any limits on them. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm reluctant to putting these like Kobe Altman, he was a transformational player. Uh, I don't want to go down that road yet, but I know I'm excited by this. And yeah, I see some of Duncan in him. I see some of Bosch in him. You know, the, he's a seven footer who doesn't have to play center at all. And by the way, unlike, 6'11", Ben Simmons, who can't make free throws or can't shoot. This kid's got a really good-looking shot that will get a lot better as time goes on, but he's not a waste at the foul line or anything like that. Yeah, what well, Tim Duncan's name was the big fundamental, right? This is uh, yeah. the, big fundamental, the big fundamental two. Or we'll have to come Boy, up with a better and, and nickname. Remember that, how he just wanted to play in San Antonio and just made sure that he played his whole career there. Yep. Just like he did want to stay at Wake Forest and he stayed his whole career there. I mean, that, that's a unique situation, too. Especially in today's NBA. So, all right. Uh, well, we kind of touched on Ben Simmons, but Ryan, Ryan Smith says, hey, Terry, with Rubio out long term, does that mean Ben Simmons becomes a bigger trade target? We kind of talked about that already. Darren Denota, not a question, but a comment, Terry. I really hope the Cavs don't trade for Ben Simmons. As someone that lives in the Philly area and watches a lot of Sixers games, I don't see what he would bring to the Cavs can't shoot at all we don't need a point guard obviously that changed after last night but a lot of what we we're just talking about about probably not a great fit yeah you don't need that point guard yep all right this one's from rick solomon rick says hey terry i hope that baker mayfield is the answer when healthy but if andrew barry decides to go elsewhere kirk cousins has had his best years with stefanski do you see cousins as an option they'd have to talk about it to see where he is with minnesota um, I forgot what his contract situation is. I think he's got at least another year to go. Um, yeah, he and Derek Carr would be the two that I would talk about where you say, okay, I think these guys would be an upgrade. Now, you know, Cousins did not play well against the Browns earlier, but, you know, I'll tell you, I mean, Cousins is a lot better than this version of Baker. Is he better than the version of Baker the previous year, especially the, the 20 path, 20, TD passes, two interceptions, I don't know. But I imagine they're going to have some serious conversations on that. And those are realistic names as opposed to Aaron Rodgers, I've heard, or Russell Wilson. I mean, it's I, I wouldn't be surprised if after all that, you know, uh, grouchy Aaron just ends up staying in Green Bay anyway. And if uh, Russell Wilson has talked about wanting to be in uh, a big market, so... 
yeah, it's going to, I'm sure they've got all those names on the list. It's, uh, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens. They're good so. name. They're, uh, Cousins is a good name. Yeah. All right. So, hey, listen, if you want to send us a question for the podcast, you can send it to sports at cleveland.com and just put uh, Terry's talking in the subject line, or you can hit Terry up on Facebook. Terry puts a solicitation on Facebook each week looking for questions. We would love to hear from you. All right, Terry. Terry David, yeah. You want to go look at that. I put a Bobby Smith picture today, Bingo Smith for the, that and got all these people like went, went to school with his kids. They lived on the same block. It's wonderful to read some of that. stuff. <laughs> uh, and one guy said, I never realized his name was Bobby. I just always knew him as bingo. Yep. And that's the, uh, that's the one that hangs in the rafters, right? At, at the yes, arena. Yeah. Bingo. No Bobby up there. So, all right, here's our Terry's trivia question for this week. You're, this one is easy. You're probably going to get it. I, I'm guessing the listeners will too. So if JB Bickerstaff finishes out his new contract, which would reportedly run through 2026, 20, 27, he will have coached the Cavs for seven full seasons and part of an eighth. That would be the second longest tenure in team history, which coach. And I got the question you threw at me earlier wrong, but which coach has the longest tenure in Cavs history? Well, since I wrote how many Vintage, years? Vintage Cavs, Bill Fitch. I think it's nine. You are correct, sir. 1970-71 to 78-79. It was nine seasons. And, and and the interesting thing is who replaced him? He was only here for a year. George Carl. Stan Albeck. Oh, I was close. Coached a whole bunch of teams, including Kent State for about three weeks, but never coached a game. Stan Albeck coached was the Kent State coach for a while? Look it up. Yeah. Briefly. Really? I did not know that. And then he was Michael Jordan's, uh, he was one of Michael Jordan's early coaches with the yeah, Bulls, too. With the Bulls. And yep. actually, he was pretty good with the Spurs for a while, too. Yeah, and Lenny, Wink- Lenny Wilkins is second with seven seasons. So there's a little Cavs trivia for you. Terry, um, before we wrap up here, your vintage Browns book is still out there and sounds like it's really selling well. Yeah, the, the Barnes and Nobles locally have told me, I guess the number one selling book in all the ones there has been the Paul McCartney, I think it's lyrics. Um, but then um, I've been either number two or number three in the other stores. So I thank all you people for buying it. And hopefully um, after Christmas, maybe you saw somebody else get it and you want it. So go get it. It's out there. And I'm really grateful because I didn't know how this thing was going to sell in, in the, with the pandemic. And I couldn't really do any appearances in that. So I'm really grateful to everybody who's been buying it. Yeah. And I've been seeing a lot of comments about people just thanking you for kind of capturing the legacy of some of these players. So um, makes a great present for post-Christmas or just uh, just to, since we're still in football season, it's some great reading. So, all right, Terry, uh, what are you doing for New Year's Eve? Big plans or are you going to take it easy? Um, nothing big at all. How's that? I'm too old. <laughs> go to bed early, get up, go to church, get myself mentally ready for the Browns and Steelers. We're trying to decide. I'm trying to decide between bowling or going out to Port Clinton and seeing the walleye drop at midnight. Don't they drop a big walleye at midnight? It comes dropping on like in times. Yeah, it sounds kind of fun. So I don't know. We'll see how the weather is. with a walleye because they would not be a good. (laughs) It's like turkey bowl. I mean, he's got the the turkey bowl. We don't want to do a fish bowl. (laughs) That's right. Hey, listen, everybody. Thanks for listening. Um, Have a great New Year's Eve. Be safe out there. Have a happy New Year. Enjoy yourselves. Be safe. And we'll talk to you next week on Terry's Talking.